All right, everybody. Happy Friday. Um, sort of a scary week in the beginning of the week, and things have kind of calmed down in the markets for the rest of the week. So that's always a good thing, I guess, right? Going to the weekend, uh, the market's been up a couple days rather than uh, going into the weekend with a down big couple days. I guess if we had to choose which way we want things to go, uh, that would be a much better scenario. So. Um, Hold on one second. Okay, so got some questions this week. Predictably, so people want to know about the GSE stuff. What's going on there? So let's let's get to where we got it here. Question for podcast: Have anyone, have you or anyone you know visited the CPO recently? And what's the progress report? See more activity, vibrancy. Is it a ghost town in the winter months? Um, it's not a ghost town in the winter months. Yes, there's more activity going on there than there was a year ago. Uh, the PR is doing a lot of concerts, a lot of shows. It's a very active area. Um, I think it'll get a lot more active when the construction on the, what is that, the Roosevelt that goes through there, whatever that is, uh, when that's done and it's easier to get across the street. And there's some other shops opening, so. Um, it's, um, um, it, it's progressing, you know, it's progressing. It's. It's been slow. It hasn't been uh, the splash we wanted it to be and remains to be seen how well they're going to do because uh, of the interesting structure of the leases that they have. But again, we're going to have to just see what we see. But I was down there not too long ago and uh, there's definitely every time I go there, there's much more activity than time before. So then uh, the results, you know, the, the results of the additional runs coming in each, each quarter are, are evidence of that too. So. Um, any comments about Layton, former CEO of Freddie Mac, about Fourth Amendment at the election? I don't know how he would know. Um, I think it's just a guess, like anyone else. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't see them waiting until after the election to do what's next, because there's no guarantee that anyone's going to be there. Uh, you know, now that the uh, the courts have ruled the structures are constitutional, that he needs to be accountable to someone, uh, FHFA head. They're going to have to add in um, a change that uh, he can be fired by the president. And Mnuchin can too. So if there's a new administration, they could walk in the door day one and say, you know what, we're good where they are. We're going to keep them here forever. Uh, we're not going to change anything. So you know, if they want to get this done, uh, I think the clock's ticking before the next election. They can't wait. They just can't do it. So... Um, yeah, that's that's where I stand on that. Um, can you ex- can you please explain why after years of waiting and the Fannie and Freddie seats being canceled, the Fords went down a lot. Um, well, the Fords did drop a lot, and they've they've kind of grunt they're grinding their way back. But I think the simple reason is that the Northwest sweep wasn't effectively wasn't canceled, um, and it wasn't canceled in a way that I think is very harmful to common shares. So. They were sending, the GSAs were retaining $3 billion and were sending every cent of profit that they were going to retain over to Treasury. That's what they were doing. That was the network seat before. Now, they're not sending the cash over, but they're sending stock over, right? They're increasing the liquidation preference on the senior preferred shares. So, yeah, they're retaining capital, but they're also giving away more stock and increasing the um, amount of the um, 
liquidation preference to the senior preferred shares. Now, a lot of people are saying, well, yeah, but they're just going to cancel that because it's been paid. Well, that may or may not be true. I would say it probably is an accurate statement. But here's the thing. I think it was a $36 billion overpayment we'd had. I think it was $36 billion. People have been modeling that $36 billion being credited to the GSEs as part of their capital raising. Every, every model I've seen has given the GSEs some credit for that overpayment. Well, that overpayment under this scenario now, what's happening is being eaten away. Every quarter, when we have to send more increased liquidation preference to the senior preferred stock, that overpayment becomes less and less. And if they do the 20, $22 billion in additional earnings and they get the $22 billion additional senior preferred stock, well, that $36 billion is down to 14 now. That, that, means, that means for every dollar we're sending, every, I'm sorry, every additional share of liquidation preference that we're sending to uh, Treasury is, is more money that's going to have to be raised. So there's going to be more dilution for the common stock. So I think what's happening is, is, is not good at all for the common stock. Um, it's kind of resisted. It went down and then kind of crept back up. And the preferreds kind of went down. They crept back up the last few days. Um, you know, I, I am more confident in just having preferreds right now than I am commons because we, we're every quarter until they decide to um, recapitalize, it's, it's just another quarter that, you know, the, the common is going to get more diluted. That's the, way, that's the way I see it. That's the way I read what's gone down and what's, what's been done with, the, with that. So, um, I don't know. Uh, the Treasury wants to retain $25 billion as amendment. The mother's plan, they talk about eventually issuing the preferreds of $25 billion. Is there some kind of connection between the two, like the liquidation value? Where it means preferred to me whole. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't think so. I think they're two different things. Um, the liquidation preference needs to be addressed. Um, it needs to be addressed in totality, not just twenty-five billion of it. Um, regarding Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, would you please comment on the recent report from IMF Publications? The Treasury Department earlier this week waived the Fannie and Freddie network sweep until Fannie's net worth reaches $25 billion or Freddie's $20. In lieu of the sweep, they will see liquidation. Okay, we sort me through this. Increase, in other words, what it loses on the front and gains in the back end. Beauvais looked at it and said the network sweep has not been eliminated. Um, in his report sent to clients Wednesday, he writes, what has been changed is how the accountants will deal with it. In my view, they will still deduct the net worth sweep dividend from the net income on calculating earnings per share for Fannie and Freddie Mac, but they will not deduct it from the company's net worth. This will allow net worth to be shown as having increased despite the fact that it has not in real terms. We asked both GSEs to comment on Bovey's theory and only one responded, Freddie, he's not right on it hurting our net worth. Said an official at the mortgage giant, we shall see, but the share price which you see common has been skidding since mid-September. To my understanding, that we're sleep halted, but not yet terminated since Treasury needs time to negotiate with FHFA and investors to finalize capital plan and settlement. So it should be very positive news. Why are based on neutral and somewhat negative about it? Does he know something we don't know? Well, I don't... 
the net, I guess I so I guess I guess it comes down to how you look at it. I don't think the net has been halted at all. I think it's just been altered. It's just been changed. I think Bovey's right in that it's just been changed. Instead of giving them cash or giving them stock, you're still transferring the value of your now you're still transferring the entire value of your earnings to treasury. But instead of doing it cash, you're doing it stock. That was what the original the original deal was. The original 10% dividend was it could be paid 10% in cash or 12% in stock. They've been choosing to pay it in cash all this time instead of more stock. So, I mean, that was the original deal. And that's basically what they're doing now. Except they're transferring the complete value of earnings, not just 10% of the liquidation value. They're transferring the complete value of the earnings over to Treasury in, in the form of increased liquidation percentage. So... You know, and as far as the accounting goes, I, I, I'm not an accountant. I don't have an accounting degree. And I have this feeling that because of this such a unique situation, they're going to be able to account for it any way they want. You know what I mean? It's going to be kind of one of those deals. Because um, we've never been in this situation before. Um, so I don't know, you know, how they're, they're going to choose to account for it. But, you know, I get, think it's probably safe to say they will account for it in the most beneficial way to them as humanly possible um, and they could just change what they're calling things or whatever I don't know but I'm pretty sure that's how it'll go um, and I don't think Buffet knows anything I just think he's looking at it realistically I think a lot of people um, are look we're looking at this as the end of the net worth sweep and it's not and I think a lot of people are just saying oh well they're just going to forgive the 25 billion because they're going to forgive the liquidation preference because we've paid over that. Well, that, that may or may not be true. I think it probably is true. But don't forget that people have been modeling the overpayment into, the, into what they're going to have to raise. And now they're going to have to raise dollar for dollar more of everything they earn in the next, what, two, three, maybe four quarters, however long it takes for them to do this. So that's a negative for the common stock. That means more dilution in the common stock. Um, regarding Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, I think the next step to exit conservatorship are, one, Calabria FHA set capital rule at possible December 2019 unless it has to get re reproposed. Two, PSPA amendment including liquidation preference write down with appropriate compensation to treasury deferred or foregone dividends. It seems likely like the PSPA amendment that preferred will have a chance to reach par, which may at least be a Half a year later, what's your take, please? What's your take on the recent Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, Supreme Court? Does this really help? Will it drag on for another year or more? Um, so, a couple things. Uh, set capital rule, possible December, less to get reposed. Yeah, I mean, he, he could set that tomorrow. Um, and that's going to go a long way to determine how much they have to raise. So, that, that number is, is a key number. If it's a low number, then that's great for the common stock and preferred stock. If it's a high number, it's lousy for the common stock, and I don't think it changes the outlook much to the preferred. Uh, two, um, an amendment, appropriate compensation, treasury money, deferred or foregone dividends. So they've been, they've been compensated for all dividends they would have been paid. So it, had they not done the net worth sweep and had the 10% annually in cash payment, we still have paid them more than they would have gotten. There still is an overpayment. So I don't. there aren't any dividends that I'm aware of 
that we still owe Treasury. And since they've just altered the net worth sweep and we're, they're not requiring any more dividends, and that in lieu they're going to take this, this senior preferred stock liquidation preference increase, we're not, going to be, we're not going to be owing them any dividends in the future unless there's an additional change. Um, I don't. I don't think, and I said this before. I don't think it's going to take a long time for the preferreds to reach par once the net worth sweep is eliminated, and and it hasn't been, which is why they didn't go anywhere, and it's why they kind of dropped. You know, people were like, "Oh shit, here we go, guys, be another three or four months." I do think that things are going to maybe start happening a little quicker now, um, simply because. They want to get things done. They need to get it done. There's an election coming up, and they really can't leave it hanging to the election. They just can't. Um, you know, you don't know what's going to happen next coming upcoming election. Uh, even if let's say, even if your scenario where Trump wins the White House, but if he loses both houses of, of he loses the Senate, loses the House, you know, they could the Democrat run Congress could really put a hamper on things. Um, so you know, we don't know. And you know, leaving leaving things hanging until after the election is very risky. If they want, or if they truly want to accomplish this before them, Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, Supreme Court does it really help. Absolutely, it does. It's going to end up there anyway. So the quicker we can get it there, you know, instead of going through the dog and pony show of a Treasury appeal, you know, I think I think they had ninety days, sixty or ninety days, whatever it was, from the ruling to appeal and going through the appeal process, we wouldn't make it to the Supreme Court this term. It'll be Supreme Court next term. If we go to the Supreme Court now, we'll have a hearing. We'll have a, a decision by June. So going to the Supreme Court, I think, is very helpful. Um, David Thompson, the last call he had, was very eager to just go right to the Supreme Court. Uh, I think it shortens the time frame for everyone on a lot of things, and uh, I think that would be what they would want to do. Um, you have conflicting circuit court opinions now, which is you know usually the trigger. For something going to the Supreme Court, uh, because ultimately, if the Fifth Circuit and the Second Circuit don't agree and come up with different outcomes, then the arbiter of that is the Supreme Court, and that typically is what happens. That's typically. And but again, going there right now and getting there before right now, instead of waiting for other circuit courts to rule, which could take who knows how long, I think it um, it guarantees that they'll take the case number one, um, and I think that uh, it would be very good for us. You know, several justices um, were cited in the opinion, um, and um, I think it was Scalia and Thomas. There was another case before the Supreme Court. Maybe it was Cav. I don't know who it was. I'll have to look it up. There was another case before the Supreme Court, and it was a it was a government created entity that was without judicial review, and. The justice said he had grave concerns of any entity that was formed and was exempt from judicial review because that, you know, it's sort of like the <laughs> founding of our constitution, right? Three branches of government. Uh, the executive branch can't pass a law and unilaterally eliminate the judicial branch. They just can't do it. So I think um, going before the Supreme Court would be a very, very positive uh, step. Um, Regarding lumber, lumber liquidators, thanks for quoting the recent news on settlement. If this is the final piece of litigation to settle, um, does this mean that Tom Sullivan will come back and stealthily take over much more liquid, lumber liquidator shares? So, I, you know, I don't... 
So if you look at it logically, right, I don't have any idea what he's going to do. But he was buying the stock in the nines and then bought more in the tens, right? And created this large position, went public with a stake. And when it got to 13, 14, he said it's too expensive. By the time I put in a buyout offer, it's going to be 17, 18 bucks. That's too much. I don't have it, don't want to pay it, whatever, and got out. If that was true logically, then the logical thing to do, if, if he truly wanted the company or just wasn't or just didn't decide I'm gonna I'm gonna buy a slug of this sucker go public and cash out, wasn't just gonna try to make some money off it. If he truly wants the company, then there's no reason he shouldn't be buying it now. Now he'll have to keep his stake below reporting requirements, right? So I think I think he's when he's above four percent, five percent I think yes report. I'm not sure of the exact number. Um, so he's gonna keep it below that. Right, and then he'll line up his financing in private, in secret, and then go to the company with the offer. So if he's buying up his stack now at you know eight, nine, you know nine bucks, and amasses a stake to where he wants it to before he has to file publicly that he has the stake, and goes to the bankers or goes to investors and lines up a deal and puts it to him, I mean, maybe he can get it for what he, you know, 11, 12, 13 bucks instead of 16, 17, 18. Because the price is going to be where, you know, it's not going to move much between now. So maybe he can get it for what he wanted to pay for it. Logically, that makes sense. But again, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I don't know what he's thinking. Um, part of me, just the way it was kind of handled before. Um Part of me thinks he made a couple million bucks and is good to walk away. I don't know. Um, I, I would think that if he were sincere in wanting the company, he would be doing something right now, right? Because the stock's right back to where he, it's not like the stock is. You know, twenty percent higher than when he was buying it. The stock is right back to where he was buying it initially. It's right. It's been right there. So there's no reason not to not to buy it. Um, regarding TPL, thanks for sharing the presentation with us. It looks very compelling. Some questions on TPL, please. If this is a if this is a play on per, Permian activity, not the price of oil or gas, does this mean that the possible rising of oil and gas will not benefit TPL top and bottom lines? Okay, well, yes, it will. Okay, but so I need to back up a little bit. There is definite, they get royalties, right, off oil and gas coming out of the ground. So obviously, some of them are fixed, some of the percentages. Obviously, higher oil prices will be helpful for two reasons. Number one, those royalties will increase somewhat, okay, but more beneficially, the higher oil goes, what naturally happens more drilling that takes place, right? Because oils, you know, the more profitable oil is per barrel, then the more drilling is going to take place because they want to drill for more oil. So that is the real kicker. Conversely, if oil falls, there is a small effect of falling oil prices. Um, and it only really affects them if the output from the Permian starts to fall. And what we've seen is rate counts in the Permian falling but because of technology, better wells, the geographic area of the Permian and how it's laid out, they're pumping more oil with fewer rigs, which is why the Permian is so popular right now because it is so popular. I mean, so profitable to drill there. You can get more oil with fewer rigs. 
saves everyone millions of dollars. So oil prices are helpful mostly because they will it will be a, a boom, a, a definite increase in activity, in drilling activity, and extraction from the ground. Um, how big is potential water business compared to that oil and gas for TPL? This is where we get some hard. The, the potential for the water business is enormous. It's, it's, it's grown revenue five times in three years. It's grown revenue 5x in three years. Fracking is incredibly water intensive. We own all the water and all our land, so the cheapest way is to contract with TPL, let our water business, and hire outside people because you got the water right there. It'll be less expensive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. As far as the, it's given the limited disclosures, you kind of got to figure out, you know, how big could it be based on other water businesses or, you know, what could be the value of it based on land sales for water of other land sales and i did that in the in the document so there's a lot of guesswork involved um but every all the guesswork i have is it could be huge and i think that um hold on i gotta answer one more question here if tpl's growth is constrained by pipeline activity capability will it be possibly choked by pipeline growth if warren biden is the next president is this possible that tpl stock price will be split so it looks attractive I might attract more buyers. So um, TPL's, the, the, the beauty of TPL is that I don't think whoever's in the White House is going to matter because the pipelines they're pulling in are not inter, interstate pipelines. They're interstate, meaning Texas has full control over the approval of them, right? They're not going for, it's not like the, the, um, a pipeline that goes through several states. It starts in Texas, it ends in Texas. Texas has control over the approval process of it. So um, I don't think it would be a, a big deal, okay, if Warren or Biden were in the White House. Um, it's not going to be Biden, so the only one it would be would be Warren. Um, Biden's already shot himself in the foot too many times. So I think it, the Democrats, it's going to be a woman coming from the Democrats running again. Um, I don't see Biden and, and Sanders, you know, I, I, Bernie's not healthy and, you know, he's just, he's Bernie. But so, you know, whether you're Republican or Democrat, I'm just looking at like who I think is the most realistic scenario, who's going to come out of the uh, the Democratic Party. And I think it's either going to be um, Warren, Harris, or that uh, Tulsi, whatever her name is. Um, I think those are the, probably the, the, the three front runners and you know it's after this next round of debate you'll start seeing people drop off so you know bernie will hang in there till the end and so will biden but um you know you know biden's a slip of the tongue away from being done anyway so um is it possible that tpl stock price will split i don't know if they'll split it or not i don't think um it really matters anymore there's a lot of high price stocks are doing really well just look at amazon and Google and Apple and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't see that as being a huge um, deterrent to the stock being valued properly. You know, if you really want to look at it right now, it's, it's probably all retail investors in it right now. You know, you don't, because they're, because they're not followed by any firm, right? There's no analyst reports or research reports on them out there. Um, no earnings calls. Very little disclosure. It's a trust, not a C-corp. 
there's not many not many institutions own them own shares in them some hedge funds for sure but you know, you're not getting the big buyers in there so the reality is that if they do fix that and do go to a c corp or even just fix the disclosure i think it would be more institutions buying the stock than individual retail investors and their i mean 600 price isn't going to scare off a large institution for buying shares you know any more than the 30 price will so it, it usually that affects retail investors and i I'd be willing to say that's probably the majority of who's in the stock right now anyway. So, um, TPL's growth. Yeah, so you know, I, I do believe that we're going to see an explosion of, of activity in the Permian in the next couple of years. And the price per bale keeps going down. I think it's like 32 bucks a barrel right now. Oil's profitable at the Permian. And, and you know, here's something people don't realize either. People, I mean, it's amazing how these stocks move with the price of oil on a day-to-day -day basis. I just posted an article a couple weeks ago. When oil spiked into the mid-60s, you know, 65, 66, uh, when the Saudi things were hit, there was massive hedging of oil positions from the oil companies for the rest of this year and into 2019. So it doesn't really matter if oil goes from... 55 to 45 that oil's already hedged it's mid 60s so they're going to keep pumping oil because they're still going to be making money on it because they've hedged that position you know it's not like the price that they're selling oil at is changing every single day based on the price of oil for speculators it is but for the big oil companies you know they've hedged these positions a long time ago you know, they're hedging it so they know their cash flow, they know their capex, and they're not exposed to the wildness of the market. Now, to be sure, not 100% of it is hedged, but a significant number. And they, and, and they took advantage, I don't know, was it three weeks ago now when, when the Saudi thing was hit? Two weeks ago? Three weeks ago now. Um, they all took advantage of that, and there was a lot of hedging of oil um, into next year in the mid-60s. So that's what these companies are going to be getting, making per barrel. You know, they're not going to be getting the spot price uh, on most of their production. Um, even though they're going to trade like it. So, so, I, so my point to that is that, you know, I put in the presentation that drilled but uncompleted wells in the Permian have grown 50% over the last two and a half years. They're down 1% nationally, which means all the growth and all the drilled and uncompleted wells has been in the Permian Basin in Texas. Okay, so why do they drill but not complete them? Well, they don't have the pipeline capacity to profitably take the oil away. Okay, it's about three to four dollars a barrel by pipeline. It's I think it's I think the number says eight to ten by train, thirteen to fifteen dollars a barrel by truck. Depending on all this depends on distances and things like that. So you can if it's a short haul in a truck, it could be eight bucks a barrel. But you know those are the average prices based on average distances that these things have to travel. So they've got all these well drilled, but not completed. And as soon as those pipelines come in, boom, they finish those wells off in no time. Hook them up to the pipelines, boom, get the oil out. It's going to be a fast process. You're already seeing. The, so Kinder Morgan got, opened up their first, the 2 billion, um, 2 billion cubic feet a day natural gas pipeline. They opened it up, I think it was two weeks early. It's running full. What happened to the price of natural gas in the area? It went up. Why did it get go up? 
because they're flaring it or paying people to take it away before. So now they have it in a pipeline, it's flowing, the price of natural gas went up in the area. Now, flared natural gas, If so if you're TPL and you're in the Permian Basin and they're, they're flaring gas on your land, you don't make any money off that because you haven't sold. There's no royalty on gas that's flared. So all that potential revenue was going up in smoke, <laughs> literally being flared, right? Well, now it's going into a pipeline. So now they're going to start to collect easements on that, assuming the pipeline goes over the land, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But they're going to start collecting more money on that. And the oil and gas companies in the land are going to hook into this pipeline. So they can, instead of flaring the gas, because you can only flare so much, right? Because of environmental reasons. So now they're going to try and now they're going to bring it to market. So that's good. Kinder Morgan has another two billion cubic feet a day pipeline in the Permian. That's going to come in early, probably like spring, early summer next year. And then a third. Williams is part of a major two billion cubic feet a day pipeline. There's about 14 million barrels of oil pipelines coming to the and they're just rushing into the region. So West, West Texas crude will climb in price because, why? Because they're not paying 20, 15 bucks a barrel to ship it, right? By truck, I mean, by truck or 10 bucks by train, they're doing a by, um, pipeline. You're going to have a ton more coming out and TPL is just going to collect royalties off that the whole time. So I'm very excited for it. Um, it's, I think we're in this kind of like, weird period where there's a bunch of things happening behind the scenes that I think are going to unlock tremendous value in the next year. You know, obviously the first thing is going to be the results of the C-Corp conversion. And I think even if they don't, even if they don't convert to C-Corp, because economically it doesn't make sense because of the laws, and I don't know the laws, and I've heard arguments both ways, you know, if, if it doesn't make sense, Murray Stahl is not going to convert it. But I think even that, in the worst case scenario, you're going to get C-Corp-like disclosures from the company. So either way, I think we win. Either it makes economic sense to convert to the C-Corp and you get C-Corp-style disclosures, or it doesn't make economic sense because there'd be tax implications or whatever's going on. It doesn't make sense economic convert to the C-Corp. But we're still, but I, th I, I don't see a scenario well, Murray Stahl just kind of throws up his hands and walks away without the disclosure he wants. I just don't see that. And I see it being part of the negotiation. Like, okay, we won't convert, but we want CC, we want, you know, we want the company to adhere to disclosures like they were a C corporation. And I think that alone is going to get it noticed by Wall Street. And that alone is going to be a, um, a, <clears throat> a, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Um, a boost to the stock price. That wasn't the word I was looking for, but whatever. Um, and then you have all these pipelines being built in this, behind the scenes. It's going to really increase the amount of crude oil produced and taken out of the Permian Basin. And, you know, no one's focusing on that right now. So you have these two things happening um, <clears throat> that I think are really going to be helpful in the next year. Well, obviously the one is going to be helpful by December 31st, right? That's when the committee has to be done. But over the next year, as these pipelines start coming in and the amount of pr production goes up. So if you can look at 
um, TPL, you know, the price of gas, <clears throat> so results last year grew about 100% year over year. And oil production, the price of oil went up, I think 10, 15% year over year. The realized prices, right, that they realized. And the price of gas dropped, I think 20, 25% year over year. But the fact that oil production was up 100% and gas production was up 118%, results doubled. So while price does matter, it's the overriding um, input, I think, is the amount of production. So, And we may see that stall a little bit. Permian growth has slowed, and it has slowed because we don't have the pipeline capacity to take the stuff away. But as those pipelines come in, you'll see Permian growth accelerate again, and that'll be a good impetus for the stock to go higher. Um, that's, that's the way I'm looking at it. So you could almost look at this business, and I think I've said this before, I don't know if I have or not, as an unlimited call option with no expiration on the oil and gas production of the Permian. <clears throat> and if you think that's going higher over time, which I do, then the stock will, go, will follow it higher over time. That's the most simplest way I can I, I look at the stock right now. So um, I had one late question come in also about um, TPL. Um, there it is. In your presentation, napkin value with TPL 600,000 acres. If you're for an oil evasion too, why 600 to 900? So I, I, I have to go back and look at it, but I believe, um, I believe that uh, they're only producing, they only have, they're only producing or collecting uh, revenues on 600,000 acres. I don't think every acre of their land is being used in collecting royalties. So I think I went back through the chart. I think that's what it was. I'll clarify that in a post to go back and do what I did it. And basically what I was trying to do was split it up meaning that the company's total valuation <clears throat> was about $6 billion and it has this water business and this oil and gas business. And based on, uh, <coughs> sorry, you know, you know, looking at if you're, you know, based on oil sales, based on oil land sales in the Permian and based on water land sales in the Permian, that's about what you're getting as a valuation for those two entities. Um, if you just did it separately, obviously they're combined, so it should be worth more. But the street's not recognizing it. You know, I think I think we could go two, three, four times higher in the stock um, before a, a realistic valuation of what it's worth uh, is realized. So, and even no one knows about it. Even yesterday, there was a article in Reuters that um, was talking about the Permian and the growth in it, and the largest landholders in the Permian. And of course, they left TPL off. If they put Pioneer Natural Resources, who I think has about five hundred thousand acres. You know, we have 900,000. We weren't even on the chart. So it's, no one knows about this company. And once they start to know about it, once they find out about it, I think it's going to be very good for us. So I think, I think that's it. Let me just do a real quick check here for any last minute uh, questions that may have come through. Because there's always a couple. Um, oh, this just came through. FHFA seeks an advisor for restructuring. Interesting. So 
It's looking to hire a firm with expertise in corporate restructuring and capital markets to advise it on developing a plan to responsibly on the conservatorship, Bloomberg reports, setting a notice posted on a government contracting website. The advisory firm will provide analysis and recommendations on a number of issues. Topic it will need to assist FHFA, which include how to raise capital for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and the timing and feasibility of increasing capital. All right. So, like I said, I think... I think things are going to start moving a little bit quicker now that we've taken the first step. I think it's just disappointing that the first step um, didn't really address the net worth sweep at all. It was kind of a baby step. Um, but we'll see. Maybe things are going to start getting, maybe things just aren't going to start ramping up. So, so that's where I'm at today. Um, those are all the questions we got. I hope everyone uh, has a great day today and hope everyone has a, a fantastic and safe weekend, and uh, I'll be back next week.